so good. God is so good. Um, I came here in 1982, and I, and I never left. So how long I've been here. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so yes, I did want to run a few times, but God always said this was my home and where I had to stay, and he made me work through the struggles that I needed to go through to stick with family because for that's what he did for my life. I know for other people he doesn't do it that way, but for me he did. So I, I, I did so much research on Jonah. I have read video, I, done, I read, read the Bible, I read stories, I read lots, pamphlets and things, and I read, uh, I, I listened to video after video, YouTube after YouTube, and I got saturated with Jonah. But the problem was I could come here and I could talk to you about all what those other people had said. But it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be my story, would it? <laughs> we're, we're here to write our own story, write our own Bible, so that what I have to say will encourage you and, and it will relate to your life and you will glean from it and, and hopefully grow. <laughs> um, I said, Lord, what is, what is the, the title of this message? I don't really know. Is it Jonah chapter 2? Because that's what I have been asked to talk about. And he said, no. He says, the message is the penny must drop. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that term before. My parents were British, and so we sort of said that in our family, and it's like an idiom that you suddenly understand something. Like, you can go along, and all of a sudden, it drops, the penny drops, and you're like, oh, that's what they meant. And so I think, like, um, it's, almost, it's almost like the light bulb goes off as well. It's like you're told something over and over and over and over and over and you never get it and then the light bulb comes off and you're like, oh, that's what you meant, silly me. But so Jonah had that moment. He needed to understand something that he didn't know. And <laughs> I see people smiling at me, thank you. <laughs> it's almost creepy now. <laughs> Jonah, you know what, um, this is the right one, I believe. But, I, you know, I thought, like, it, Jonah, this is like a, a fish story, right? So, like, it would be, like, totally appropriate to, to share you a fish or a boat story. Like, can I do that? <laughs> would, you, would you like to hear a, a boat story from Chris? <laughs> okay, well, this was my first snorkeling experience. And my husband says that this story isn't really funny, but it was funny for him because he got to watch the story. <laughs> um, so we're in Mexico, and we, we are on a, a boat tour, and um, it's a snorkeling tour. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, all, I'm good with that. Like, you, you know, it's an ocean, but, you know, like, I could do that. I know, like, I grew up in Montreal. I'm a city girl. I'm kind of been conformed to more country life, which I love. Um, but, you know, I grew up with an Olympic-sized swimming pool. And that Olympic-sized swimming pool had chlorine in it and nothing else in, like, nothing came up or bit your ankle, nothing. <laughs> and that's actually kind of how I like it. But you see, in order to go snorkeling, you don't get to go into a chlorine-induced swimming pool. <laughs> so we, we get, our, our, we'll get our, on our tour and we get our gear and we get our mask and our, I don't know, I don't think we had flippers, I don't remember. But we had a thing, you know to breathe and we're in the boat we get to where we're going and in Mexico the water's warm so it was great I jumped in the water I can swim 
lapped in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. So I, I, I did that, and I got in the water, and I, you know, I knew what to do. My mask, put it on, it's all good. And I stuck my face in the water, and I saw something that didn't compute with my brain. It was like fish that I had never seen before. Like, I had seen trout and salmon and boring fish, but under here was like fancy fish. Fancy fish that were like multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And I'm like, <gasps> what is going on here? And I felt like that cartoon moment where you, you, the cartoon guy is there and all of a sudden he sees something and it's like, ah, and his hair stands up and it's like, oh, that's a moment. And that was the moment I had underwater, like just horrified. And then I thought, oh. I looked further out into the ocean because it was clear. And I saw this other fish. Now, every fish story has a fish that is larger than life, right? This is the larger than life story. Now, I'm looking out into the ocean, and there's a large fish. And it's not fancy. It's not colorful. It's not pretty. It's brown and big. And it's heading towards where the little fish are and me. And I'm like... No, 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 This is not, this is not a good story. I need to get out of this water. I don't like what's in here. So I look up and I see our tour guides and what they're doing. They're throwing cereal into the water, attracting more and more fish so people can look at them. And I'm like, what is wrong with these people? Don't they know that you don't? No, 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 no. So I, I, well, I can swim, remember? I go around to the back of the boat. And I get to the back of the boat, and there's a ladder. And there's this lady on the ladder, and she's like creeping down. And I'm looking at her, I'm thinking, what's your problem? Do you not want to get wet? It's... it's <laughs> You know, so I, can, I cannot wait for her to decide, like, to get in the water, you know, and make the ladder free for me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There's stuff in the water. I don't want to be in the water. I am getting out of the water regardless of this woman is coming down the ladder, up the ladder, wherever she's going. I am not in the water. Now, you see these legs? 35-inch inseam. And they're long. And so... Um, I also know how to throw 55 pounds bales of hay up five stories high. <laughs> I'm strong. <laughs> and so this lady, uh, I just got my foot and I got it in the, the, the rung of the bottom and my other foot went don't over the lady that was trying to get down the ladder. And she looked at me horrified because I had just climbed over her. And I said, I am so sorry, but there's stuff in the water and I can't be in there with it. <laughs> that's, that's my fish story. <laughs> Okay, so we'll, well, how about we get serious now? <laughs> you know, I have great friends, and they, they hang out in the prayer room. And they were prayed for me before I, I got here. And, and I love my friends. They're smiling at me. <sighs> but they, they did something to me that was just not fair, and I'm going to talk to them about it on Monday. <laughs> Dixie! <laughs> they prayed I would get drunk up here. <laughs> 
Like, whose friends do that to them? <laughs> Mine, apparently. <laughs> so I thought we would just do a review of chapter one of Jonah, because this is our series that we're in, and Pastor Greg started it off. So I thought, recap. That's what we'll do. Now, you see, remember when I said to you I couldn't run away? Oh, no, I'm going to tell you this story. Jonah was a prophet, and his dad's name was Truth, and his name was Grace or Dove. And you see, prophets are supposed to prophesy. That's what their job is. And they hear from God, and they prophesy. But, you see, Jonah's name was Dove. I don't know if you're ready for this. <laughs> I just want you to know something. Dove, they have like a beak. Huh? And, and they have feathers. And they have wings. And I, I kind of think, you know what? Jonah is a chicken. <laughs> Not... <laughs> Some of you really get that. <laughs> so God said, arise, go to Nineveh, cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. And Jonah was like, what? <laughs> okay, wait a second here. Uh, brain is going 100 miles an hour. Nineveh, Ninevites, they're my enemy. They are bullies on steroids. We hate the Ninevites. How do, you, how do you ask me to do something like that? I'm a Hebrew. Hebrew, I'm Hebrew. You're asking me to go to Nineveh, where they kill people, and they do horrible things to people. But that's the last thing he heard, because he stopped talking to God. And he decided to run, and he ran to modern-day Spain, which is 2,500 miles away from where he was supposed to go. And he did it by getting on a ship. And when he got on the ship, what happened was a huge storm came up, and um, the sailors knew that this storm was not a natural storm because they, they could handle a natural storm. They're professionals. They knew what to do, how to do it. And they perceived, discerned, that this storm was created by somebody's god. And they all had different gods on there. They were heathens. And so they went around finding to find out whose god had created this storm because they couldn't handle it. And so they went running down and found Jonah. And if it was me, I would have grabbed him by, <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> you know, but they were not. They were, they were nice people. And so even though they were, you know, he, well... Jonah confessed. He's like, yeah. He says, I'm a, I am a Hebrew, and I have um, been running from God. My, my God is the God that created heaven, and he created the earth, and he created the oceans. This is who my God is. And they, they thought, well, what do we do? What do we do to make this storm stop? Because we can't handle it. And they threw more of their stuff overboard, trying to lighten their load, trying to do everything they knew to do. And, they, and it was just impossible. They, they couldn't do it. And so Jonah said to them, the only way that you're going to be able to stop this storm is if you throw me overboard. They didn't want to do it, but they had to do it because if they didn't do it, their, entire, their lives would have been taken too. So there's a good story about who's on your boat, right? <laughs> Turmoil. <laughs> um, and so it ended up that Jonah got into the ocean 
and says that God had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah up. And that's where I'm supposed to start talking. <laughs> so um, I thought I would just read. Can we read uh, uh, the story, uh, the prayer that Jonah prayed when he was uh, in the belly of the fish? Jonah's prayer is a prayer of repentance. This is where the penny dropped for Jonah, because this is where he couldn't run anymore. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress. You know what? Distress is extreme anxiety, sorrow, pain, torment. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O oh Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Then he says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I, What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited out Jonah onto the dry land. People say that it was, he was vomited out in the very same place that um, he had um, started the journey when he ran. So I thought in the, the, in the fish belly, the penny dropped. So this is actually a really amazing thing because there's a lot of things in Jonah um, that we can relate to um, a parallel to what Jesus has done for us. Um, and one of them here, um, he talks about true repentance and how in verse 2, Jonah became honest about his condition. He cried out for help. He cried out in the midst of his pain. And I think, you know, that's often a time where we are as well. We have to come to that place where we're honest and we have to cry out to God in our pain. Our kind of like, my kind of like thing is to shut up and not speak because I just process things that way and it's not what he wants us to do. He wants us to talk to him. And then in verse 4, Jonah, he became more honest. He recognizes the separation between him and his God because of his sin and his disobedience. It was no longer, it's because God is telling him to do something that he doesn't want to do or any other excuse. He has no more excuse. He comes to the realization it's because of his sin, his disobedience. Verse 9, he had only words for a sacrifice and see prophets. You know, in the Old Testament, they had, they had animals. They sacrificed animals. But he didn't have an animal. All he had was his words. And that's what we have. We only have our words to talk to him. He gave thanks and he praised God. Could it be for the fish? For God not giving up on him? It's because the fish came and the fish protected Jonah. And um, maybe his uh, soul and his uh, body 
but his spirit went to hell. I believe that to be the case, but you can read that for yourself. Read Joan over a few times and see what you think. I think he did. I think it's a picture of um, Jesus' resurrection life. All the Psalms Jonah knew, and all those Psalms from being a prophet, he studied the Old Testament. He knew the Psalms. He knew all the stories. And all this welled up within him, and that was part of his prayer. You know, God... um, God does that. You know, you've been to Sunday school, you've listened to the snippets of different things, and then when you're in real trouble, all of those things, they just well up inside of you, and you remember how merciful and graceful God is in your, in your running when you come to that place where you're like, I can't go anymore. Now I really understand that you're merciful. In verse 9, he says, I have vowed and I will make good. He says, pleading with God. He's like, okay, God, I know you want me to do this. I'm going to do it. If you get me out of this mess, we're good. I'm going to do this. And the, you know, the really, really amazing thing is he proclaims salvation only comes from God. It's only God that could save him. He couldn't save himself. Nothing but God. God preserves us. He waits for us to pray, to be obedient, to recognize his goodness. And you know the amazing, amazing thing about this story, the, the last bit of this story that I have to share on this Jonah's prayer, was the fish vomited Jonah out, right? Remember? And you know what? He got a second chance. He got a second chance to do exactly what God had told him to do, and he got, he got to do it again. And for us, it's the same thing. When we hit that wall... You know, we, we get a second chance if we come to him and run to him and not run away. If we run to him and we talk to him, he is the one that listens and he is the one that's going to take the, the situation in our life and he's going to turn it around. You know, life storms, they come. None of us are going to escape life storms. They're all going to come. And some of them are from God and some of them are not. And this is what I believe. The ones that are not from God are the ones that... God is going to take and he's going to mold. They come to test us, shape us, and mold us. And they also reveal what's in us. In us. It can happen any time. Uh, Brian's going to come and share a story right now. And, but, but I just really want you to realize that, you know, um, God bends us. He molds us and he shapes us. And I think when Jonah was in the belly of that fish, it wasn't a comfortable place. And he got bent and molded and shaped But the horrible things that happen to us, God takes those horrible things and he turns them into something good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, forgive me if you've already heard this testimony, but I do, uh, and if I get a little choked up over it. Um, As Chris was going through this book of Jonah, she came to me and said, Gee, Brian, would you recount the story of our lives during uh, February 2011 in the Caribbean when, when uh, we had quite an incident? It was a beautiful day. I, was, uh, I started that day full of my own strength, and uh, I thought, I got this. I know what I'm doing. Off we went, snorkeling, funny enough. I think there's an irony there when I... Chris did a good job of describing it, but honestly, to see it, she literally went over top of the woman. Literally. The woman was like, what was that? <laughs> anyway, it was good. It was good. And it was, uh, she needed to get out of the water. She really did. 
She was much better snorkeler after that when she kind of got her feet wet a little bit easier. But uh, anyway, I got into the water uh, in the Caribbean and I, uh, I volunteered with Chris because we were both fairly strong swimmers, always have been. You know, the, the lighter way is to go this way, a little tougher this way over the top of the uh, coral and there, there's a bit of a current there so you need to be a fairly reasonable swimmer. And so we got into the water and I got going and all of a sudden I'm, uh, I seem to be losing my pace and I can see people pulling past me and all of a sudden I'm looking around going, there's absolutely nobody behind me. How could these people swim in this horrendous current? And so I was really not aware of the predicament I was getting into. The, uh, my legs started to feel like lead weights. My arms started to feel like lead weights. Imagine somebody in the water, no life jacket, snorkel and mask, a mask that leaks like a son of a gun, and I'm taking in seawater, and the, uh, my breath is failing, and I'm thinking to myself, people are saying, when I catch up with them, it's, uh, oh, do you need some help? Are you in trouble? And here's Brian. No, no, I got it. I'm good. <laughs> I'll, I'll be fine. <laughs> anyway, you want to talk about a silly response. That was a pretty stupid response. Anyway, eventually I did get into so much trouble that they needed to help me. And uh, it, it wasn't just that. I think it was that I needed to conclude that I couldn't do it on my own. I just always felt like, oh man, I just need to work a little harder, I just need to swim a little stronger, I need to stay above water. And it wasn't that way. I needed to call out to God. And when I did, I think as Chris coined the phrase, I think it's great, when she said to me, so when did the penny drop? And that's when it dropped. The penny dropped when I said, yes, I need help. And I knew from then that I was going to have to depend on God to, to have the right people around. They were able to... Uh, get me out of the water, get me back to the boat. <laughs> Chris got herself all scraped up with, on the coral, racing back to the boat to get them ready to, for me to come back. And so, uh, you know, so it was that God gave me strength to get through that challenge. Got back on the, uh, the cruise ship, got into sick bay. Well, of course, I refused that. I went to the room, Chris said. <laughs> I'm going to call 911 if you don't go right now. You don't have a choice. You're gray. Something is desperately wrong. Get into sick bay. They did a bunch of tests. And, of course, they knew that my heart was, uh, uh, was having troubles. And I was, I'd taken in seawater, so I'd aspirated some water. Some water. So they, uh, we were at sea by then, I think, by the time they got those tests. And they send them off. They're, it's quite good, you know, on a ship. They send them off to the States to be analyzed and came back and said, no, he needs to go see somebody right away. And so the next morning, we were in um, Barbados, where we met with a, uh, in a heart clinic. And uh, that was an experience and a half. Um, Chris coined the uh, doctor's name, Dr. House. I don't know if you ever remember that show, but, but seriously, this, this was as close to that as you could probably get. I got on the treadmill, you know, for the stress test, and he was, uh, so he's looking at it. It's a small little... Uh, uh, room that we're doing this in and Chris is on the other side of the room and he's here and I'm on the treadmill sweat running down my brow and I'm I'm pedaling away there and he's uh, so how do you think you did and I, and I said oh I thought I did okay and he turns to Chris and said well how do you think he did and she said oh he looked like he did pretty good there 
And he says, well, I've got to say, you failed miserably. <laughs> so so uh, you, you need to lay down right, right now, you know. And so he's looking at my heart. And so anyway, then, the, you know, some of the rest of the information came fairly quickly. You, I realized when that penny dropped and when God really got involved, I, I knew he was bringing people into the situation continually. Like some of the people that got, you know, got involved in it, even people that we knew that we had cruised with before, didn't realize they were Christians actually from Surrey, you know, and how concerned they were and how, how much care they took, you know, with us and so on. But anyway, this guy says, well, we don't know him from anybody. He sounds a little bit off the wall. You're going to need a lot of money for this, he says. You know, and so we were with another couple, a very good, uh, uh, good friends of ours, um, and they uh, they said, no, this is just just a little too weird. So we all went out to the parking lot of the clinic, and we had a prayer. We sat in the the four of us. I'm sure a few people wondered what the heck we were up to, but we just got praying and said, you know, what what is this? What's going on here? His his explanation was. Well, if you have insurance, it'll probably cover it. But if it doesn't, you need to know it's you know forty or fifty thousand dollar bill here that you're going to be in for. If we do the angiogram and we need to you know set a stent and or angioplasty or whatever would would need to be done. So he laid out all the options. We go to the parking lot. We have our prayer. For, uh, he he says to us, you know, there's no options here. You 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 can't go anywhere. You can't get back on the ship. I won't allow it. You can't get on a commercial aircraft. I won't allow that. And we looked at him and like, how can you not allow it? He said, well, you're virtually a ticking time bomb. You, you will have a heart attack very, very soon. And, and uh, he was the one who pointed out I'd had one about eight or nine years before that when I was here in our hospital and we didn't think it was a heart attack. But he said, oh, yeah, no, you've had a, you've had a good one before and you're in for another good one. So you have heart disease. And so... Uh, to say that uh, we had to put our trust in God was to, set, to put it a little, little bit lightly. But So basically, you know, what happened was, okay, if we can't go anywhere, this is what we need to do. So we move forward. All of a sudden, it's like you switch gears, and Chris has got to go back to the ship. She's got to pack up our cabin. I'm not allowed on the ship, so I can't leave the clinic. She comes back again uh, to the clinic, and uh, it's go time. So it's time to get into the uh, operating theater or the the uh, room that they use to do these procedures and so Chris is outside the door praying and I'm like I look from the from the bed the door is not even closed it's like open a crack and Chris is outside the door peeking in the door saying what's going on you have to imagine this whole situation but I think the uh, you know for me another moment was you know the, the surgeon says um so I hope you're okay with this, but, you know, we're all Christians. We like to just say a prayer before we start any procedure in this room. And we were like, oh, my goodness, please do that. <laughs> so anyway, he's a, he's a Christian fella, uh, Dr. Alfred uh, Sparman, his name is, and he was trained in the U.S., and he's a great uh, surgeon, but he just has a little bedside manner that's a little bit unusual. Chris was trading books with him. I think she was giving him some a Biles Monroe or some Caribbean, yeah, and he had, he had written a book and he, he gave it to her, 1.58 1. seconds or something like that, and so anyway, I just say, you know, when, when that moment comes and we do give it up to God, it's amazing how he shows us in so many ways how he's there for us, and, and it only takes that, it only takes saying, God, we need you, 
we're at the end of what we can do. And so um, I'd, I'd say, I guess And was saying, uh, um, the uh, recovery ward had birds flying through it. Like the walls didn't go to the top. It's all air, you know, and we were looking at each other going, isn't this a little weird? Like you almost feel like you're in another zone. <laughs> or, uh, but I, I can say, you know, I think the, the thing that occurred to me when I sat down to think about this, when we feel fragile, God is like our bubble wrap, you know. Like sometimes you just feel very vulnerable. I felt so vulnerable in the water. I'd never had that feeling before. I don't know why, just sitting here today, something just occurred to me when I had an, an, a, a, an experience. When I was young, I used to do a lot of tower work, climbing towers. You go 200 feet up, 225, 250 feet up. It's all fine. First time you walk out on a platform and you're looking down, it's a whole different experience. And you're like, I've been on towers like for years, but that I had to go out and change some light bulbs on an, exten an extension. And, it, and it's like this creepy feeling. But you know, all you do is come a little closer to the tower and it's, you're back to real life. And you step out again, you look down, you're like, ooh. You know not to look up because the clouds move, right? So you don't want to do that. If you see the ground moving, you have big trouble, you know. But... <laughs> But uh, anyway, I just, you know, it just occurs to me that, uh, you know, we didn't just need Dr. Sparman's hands to be guided by God, but we needed his grace and his mercy and his comfort and his confidence to be with us. Because really, we were starting to lose our confidence. And I just felt like God really just met us there. And I just uh, thank God for it. And she saw a lot of parallels, I guess, in me calling out at that moment. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll share it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Brian was hoping he was going to be sick today. <laughs> I said, if you were going to be sick, I was going to videotape you, and you would see that on the screen. There's no way you're getting out of this. <laughs> if I have to do this, you have to do this, too. <laughs> you know what? Um, I want you to know something. When, when your partner goes through the trauma like that, you go through it, too. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I'm like, I, I thought I was going to lose my husband, you know, I was devastated, I'm like, God, what are you doing, like, we have this life together that's supposed to happen, and, and all of a sudden, my husband is lying in the hospital, like, with this, well, what we wondered was maybe a quack, <laughs> wanting lots of money from us, <laughs> you know, we just, did, I, we didn't really know what, what was happening here, and so... Um, I went to the hotel room that was provided for me, and I just really cried out to God. I got, I got down, like, I was like Jonah, like, why, what are you doing in my life? Like, I, and you know, I was like, are you even here? Because I am so traumatized right now about what is going on. I don't even know if I can hear you or feel you or believe for you. And I said, but God, I'm not running from you. I'm going to run to you. And I ask that you would show me that you're with me and that everything is going to be okay because whatever you're doing in my life, I submit to it. Your will be done in me. And um, I had a horrible night. I didn't sleep very well that night, but I kept, every time I was awake, I'd be saying, Chris, go to sleep because you need your rest. You can't be strong for your husband unless you sleep. You have to take care of yourself in order to take care of him. And so that was like my total focus was like that, you know? And so uh, 
I didn't have an alarm clock and I was afraid I wouldn't get up in time too, so that was another problem. But I got up that morning and I said, I had said this crazy little thing that you need to show me that you're in control. You need to show me that everything's gonna be okay. Well, I said in that, I said, and I'll know if you show me something I have never seen in my life. Huh, it's a dumb thing to say, isn't it? But I don't know why, it just, it just came out of me to say that and, and, and I clung to that. And so what happened, I got up in the morning, I went down for breakfast and there was a big thing, I was the first one there and she's ready to make me bacon, eggs, hash browns, sausages and all that and I said, could I have some toast? And she looked at me, toast, just toast? So um, I'm sitting, looking and eating my toast and they give me a little thing of jam and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm like, God, 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 were you here? Like, help me. And I hear this little bird in the tree and I'm like, oh, what's that? And it was a little, little tiny, tiniest little ever bird. And this bird, it jumped down on the table in front of me and it looked at me and it hop, 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 right to my jam and ate it. <laughs> Who does that? Who? He ate my jam. I've never seen a bird eat jam that close to me. I knew in that moment that he was with me because I've never seen that and he was with me and he was going to help me and we were going to get through this. <sighs> and we did. We got through it. We got, we got uh, our, 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 he got out of the hospital, we got our luggage, we went to the airport, we got tickets, we went from uh, Barbados to Antigua, and then the plan was to go to St. Thomas, spend the night, and get back on our cruise ship, right in our cabin, and life was going on like normal. Woo! Yeah, right? No, you're wrong. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. It did not happen like that. So we are back in Antigua. We're waiting for our plane to go to St. Thomas. And Chris starts to not feel very well. Well, I don't really know why. I just felt ill. I can't even explain how I felt. And I was sitting there and I was like, you're in trouble, Chris. Something is not going on right with you. What's happening to you? And I thought, what do I do? Do I, do I tell Brian, who's you know, just coming out of heart surgery, out of his trauma, that, hello, Brian, your wife is not doing well. Call an ambulance and take me to the hospital. <laughs> you know, I'm the strong one. You know, I'm helping him. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, what are you doing? God, God, help me. I was like, I didn't know. I got all I got. We got on the plane. I sat down in my chair, and I'm like, oh. Oh, you're okay, Chris, you're okay, Chris. Oh, God, help me, help me. And all of a sudden, this darkness came, and I could see it out my peripheral vision. This darkness came, and it got closer and closer and closer. And I'm like, I don't know what is happening. God, I put my life in your hands. I'm dying. I know, I'm, I'm just dying. And this darkness came, boom, 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 boom. Oh, whatever you want, Lord, your will, not mine. If you want me to die, I die. I die in you, I die in you. And this sliver of light was there and all of a sudden I felt like a bolt of electricity came right through my whole body and I went I'm fine now I don't know what he did but he did something <laughs> that's our God 
you know what, I just want to say, when this, these kinds of things happen, your whole perspective changes. You, you look at these situations and you're like, what I thought mattered in life does not matter anymore. All the, the crap, all the garbage, all the stuff, only thing that matters is that my relationship with God is right, that my relationship with him is strong, that I know who he is and I know who I am, and that those words of life come bubbling out of me in the time that I need it. That is my perspective changing. Amen. Amen. Marlene's going to love this. <laughs> Philippians 3, 7 to 14. But whatever former things were gained to me as I thought them, that could be a lot of things, couldn't it? These things once regarded as advancements and merit, I have come to consider as loss, absolutely worthless for the sake of Christ and the purposes which he has given my life. But more than that, I count everything as loss compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, and of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequalable. For his sake, I have lost everything. I consider it all garbage so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, believing and relying on him, not having my righteousness of my own derived from my obedience to the law or its rituals. Eh, no, 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 I want my relationship. But possessing that genuine righteousness which comes through Christ in faith. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And this so that I may know him exper experientially, become more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely, and in the same way experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows and is active in believers, and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, even to his death, dying as he did. I died. So that I may attain to the resurrection that will raise me from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it. It doesn't happen overnight. No, no, no. This goal of being Christ-like or have already been made perfect, uh -uh. but I actively press on so that I may take hold of the perfection for which Christ Jesus took hold of me and made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own yet. Still working on it. I'm still a kid growing in different areas of my life. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Is there stuff in your past? Forget what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the heavenly prize of the upward calling in God in Christ Jesus. Now, did you notice the upward call? You know, it's an upward call. Colossians 3, 1 to 5. If then you were raised with Christ, you're a Christian. Seek those things which are above, not the world's ugliness. Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth, the ugliness. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ when Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death, get rid of the ugliness which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. These are the things we need to get rid of in our lives. How about some more? Disobedience, boastfulness, hatred, self-pity, competition, living in the past, lying, going around the mountain, over and over, forgiveness, jealousy, the list goes on. There's so many things in our lives that's ugly stuff that we need to get our mind changed about and stop doing. You see, you notice when Jonah changed his mind and realized that he couldn't run, he couldn't do anything, that right away when he talked to God, he delivered him. Right in in that moment. It wasn't like, oh, you got like, you got like, uh, two more days? No, 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 no. You got, you got to, you know, you got to maybe eat like just vegetables. No, he didn't have to do anything. He was just instantly delivered, instantly put right in back relationship when he cried out to God and was honest. You know what? The penny, the penny drop. And, and, you know, for all of us, the penny in us needs to drop. It is so important. Prayer is so important. Talking to God is the most important thing you need to do. You know, uh, we, I used to, like, think prayer was this huge, big thing, and I have all these books on prayer and blah, blah, blah. And then I realized, you know what? It's just talking to Jesus. That's all it is. It's just talking, sharing, and what's going on in your life and giving it to him. And so I was like, you know... Um, I, I just come to know that the important is talking to him. Your life, your spiritual life depends on it. You must learn to pray. You must learn to pray. There's no alternative. There is absolutely no alternative. Your alternative is absolute darkness. Go to the belly of the whale. You, that's your alternative. But you know what? It's not what he wants for you. Your prayer life is life or death. It's so important. Do you know, like, if your doctor said to you, after a heart attack... Maybe you woke up with a plug in your heart and uh, your doctor said to you, if you want to live from day to day, you must plug into the wall 20 minutes every day and that will juice your heart up and that's how you're going to roll for the rest of your life. Do you think you would do it? Well, yes, you absolutely would do it. But you see, it's the same thing with praying, the same thing with talking to God. You have to juice yourself up. And the only way to do it is to spend time getting your relationship going with him. Where's Keith? I'm going to talk about taste and see. I love that song. Did you like it? Yeah. You know, taste and see is the Lord is good. You ever know about, like, going to Costco? And you you taste those samples, and you know right away whether you want it or not. Right? Well, this is what God wants you to do. He wants you to taste and see that he is good. Taste and see that he is merciful. He's kind. He's loving. He's not a harsh God. He doesn't want to hurt you. He doesn't want you to stay in the way you are. He wants to put his arms around you. He wants to love on you. He wants you to be ruined for him. Because you know it's like grabbing a a bunch of grapes. 
You ever done this? And you're like, hmm, I wonder if these grapes are any good. <laughs> That's a lot of money for those grapes. So what do you do? You just pluck one up and put it in your mouth. <laughs> and then you're like looking around to see if anybody noticed that you did that. <laughs> and then you realize these grapes are so good that you're going to buy the whole thing. You want more. You want more grapes because you tasted one. It was good. It's like going to a restaurant. The suit. This is a suit, honey, that we went to. The suit. The firm, the firm, they got suits on the wall. The firm is a fantastic restaurant. And the first time we went to, we had a great meal. And then after that meal, I was going around telling everybody, you got to go to the firm. It's got great food. This is what I had, and it was so good. You know, this is the same thing. God is so good. Taste him. Taste and see that he is good because you're going to want more and more and more and you're not going to be able to get enough and your friends are all going to know about it too. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>